This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hi, I'm Derek, and when I'm not working on the hook for Joe's mom's next greatest rap album, I'm stacking Benjamins, baby. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's The Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and how much time are you wasting? We've got an episode that I can guarantee is packed with time-saving goodness because today we welcome the author of Time Smart, Harvard Business School professor Ashley Willens. Plus, if your friend asked you for a half million to create a flight school, you'd loan it to him, wouldn't you? That's what one woman did. We'll hear how that might not have ended the way she'd hoped in our headline segment. And now, two guys who started at the bottom and decided to stay there. It's Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. But it's warmer on the bottom. What? Nights are getting cold. I got to be underneath all the covers. What are you thinking about? Uh huh. Yes. Gotcha. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the rap song. Started from the bottom and I stayed there. Is, is, is that a rap song? Can no idea. It? No, I haven't. Okay. Sounds like a country song to me. Just before my dog died. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Monday on the Stacky Benjamin Show. I am Joe Salci. Hi, average Joe Money on Twitter. And across the card table from me is the man, the myth, the legend, the OG. It's the appropriate amount of response. I like how I had that high enough that we can't even hardly hear you. How are you, man? It's yeah. Monday. It's Monday. Hey, did you see my new t-shirt? Check out my new, check out this. I got my new Palm Springs t-shirt. Okay. Yes. I went to Palm Springs and all I got was a t-shirt. That's the deal. And a sunburn, I can tell. I got that. <laughs> and heat stroke. I got that out. <laughs> it does. It's an orange t-shirt and on a guy as orangish complexion as I am just, I might not be the bright color, but you know, what is right is the stacker. That's where we're going to be making lots of announcements over the next few months. I've also been working on new stacker episodes. All you stackies been working on new ones for you. So if you're trying to get your money in order, you are going to get money lessons from Joe. We've already talked about getting out of debt, about getting your credit together, about making better money decisions, staying put when the market gets all funky. And we've also talked about our weekly budget meeting, all that more at stackingbenjamins.com forward slash stacker. And you'll also find out some big news. I just found out about today but I can't tell you because we promised everybody we'd tell the stacker first. So, and then I think we're going to tell Instagram second because that's what we roll. Okay. Do I get to know or there? No, 
Of course <laughs> not. You're like number seven on the list. What are you talking about? You're not wrong. You're not wrong. Why? We got a great show today. We're going to talk about getting time smart with Professor Ashley Willens. Ashley Willens joining us today to talk about productivity. Want to make more money? Let's get more productive, OG. Come on. Speaking of that, time to get this show rolling. Come snap, on. Snap, snap. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamins Headlines. Our first headline comes to us from Yahoo News. Yahoo. This is written by David J. Neal at the Miami Herald. A Miami-Dade teacher gave her $425,000 life savings to a pilot. Miami-Dade County Public Schools teacher spent a career building $425,447 retirement nest egg. Licensed pilot Michael Atkins spent three years convincing her to loan it to him. Because, you know, when you're looking at your investment options, handing it to a guy to get his pilot's license is probably number one. I don't think they cost 400000 Well, get. how great a teacher are you when you can't really do that math? Ouch. <laughs> I think there's, there's some, uh, something missing there. But Atkins will spend four years and three months in federal prison after pleading guilty to mail fraud and identity theft. Along with spending at least 85% of his five-year sentence behind bars, Atkins is going to be required to pay restitution of $425,447 that he stole from his victim. Atkins met his mark, identified in the admission as DW in 2012. He lived with her in the home she'd owned for more than 20 years. And in July 2013, Atkins started All Points Aviation Associates, enlisted DW as a manager when he registered the company with the state of Florida. At some point, he convinced DW to retire, cash out her retirement savings, and loan it all to him, promising he'd pay her back in two months. Or did she just invest in the business that she was already a member of? Well, at first I thought, you know, so this is willful on her part, right? Like she is living with the guy. So far, I don't hear any fraud. Oh. Maybe deception. Maybe he's a liar. The Florida Retirement System Investment Plan mailed her three checks. The first two, $42,531.65,000, got deposited in all points account. But the third check for $317,916 needed DW's endorsement, and they proved that Atkins went ahead and applied that, if you know what I mean, without Ooh, her knowing. There's the uh, There there's it the is. Rub. There it is. Yes. Signing somebody else's Or maybe name. she told him to do it. She said, hey, I'm really busy. Why don't just you sign just my name. It? Just take care of it. Sign my name, sign my name. No? Nope. Different. Okay. So he's going to jail for four years, and he's on the hook for 400 grand, plus interest probably. I get confused how people think this is a good idea, handing one person your money. Just handing one person your money just doesn't... I mean, you hear about diversification, right? Number one, at least loan it to eight different people who might rip you off. And then maybe one does. But taking everything you have and loaning it to one person so they can start their business, OG? Well, there's a difference between taking all of your own money to start your own business, you know, and going out on a limb and going, nah, hey, this is what I think is going to, you know, I'm, we hear all these stories about entrepreneurs who did that, right? They Yeah, pushed all their take, chips. I'm, I'm going to do everything and here we go. But that's a lot different than what you're talking about here, which is which is uh, obviously mail fraud. So, is it bad though that I do feel? I mean, I feel bad, but I feel like I should feel worse because 
there's just nothing about this. It sounds like a good idea. Oh, it's all the retirement money I have. And even if it really was for the pilot's license or the starting a starting aviation the company, yeah, company still not a, why do you take all the money that you have and loan it to your buddy to start their business? Well, it sounds like she didn't, right? It sounds like she gave him 70 grand to start the business. That's true. And he point. stole the other 350 grand. Decided the rest was on him. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe he was, maybe she was trying to do the thing. She's like, yeah, no, you're probably going to steal this from me, but only steal 70 K or hundred K or whatever it was. That is true. Probably much, much closer to the truth. I think uh lesson there is stick with uh, investments that have some checks and balances behind them. I would think you can lend money. Just be aware of what you're getting yourself into. But if it's also somebody that you are living with or a close friend, I think it still is great advice that time old advice to consider it a gift. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Getting that money back in two months. Probably not. Our second headline comes to us from uh, TMZ, where we get all our heavy news. I was going to say, uh, back to the other one, I don't think that guy had priced out aviation fuel because... <laughs> Not enough money? 70 grand gets him, yeah, a couple of months worth. Needed to rip off a few more people to yeah, get that done. Maybe that was his plan. Second headline, of course, from TMZ, Kobe Bryant. This is going to sound really horrible, but at the beginning of the year, this year, Kobe Bryant died. And it feels like ages ago with all feel like a long time ago with it? all the horrible stuff that happened this year and that was horrible and unexpected that just seems like distant history remember remember the uh wildfires oh yeah we've had the west coast wildfires the west coast ones yeah we've had uh murder murder ants or murder bees or murder something or other just yes something i was gonna murder something yep Kobe Bryant's autograph floor from his final game. He signed the floor. If you remember on the final game that he played as a Laker, they put his number number eight at uh, center court and he signed it. Uh, that hauled in more than $600,000. Last Friday, we had some FinTech and you and I didn't get a chance to talk about it. Rob from rally uh, was here. They take collectibles and they turn them into uh, marketable securities. So they turn it into a company like a signed original first printing of F. Scott Fitzgerald's The Great Gatsby, as an example. They take those. Honus Wagner, very famous baseball card, take that, turn it into pieces. And now with not very much money, you can get a piece of that. I still think for the average person, though, reading TMZ, and they're like, dude, I would love to have this floor. I mean, just imagine having this floor. And imagine how much that's going to be worth in 20 years. No assurances. I mean, number one, we heard about the woman in our first headline getting ripped off, taking less than $600,000 and handing it to somebody who didn't use it the way that he said he was going to. But I think also if you only have $600,000. Probably not by enough. Basketball floor. Yeah, buying the Kobe floor, probably not what you want to do, even if you're a huge fan. Yeah, I think this is the the zone for people that have throwaway money. I mean, it, even if it's even if it's for charity, right? Even if they're donating the money and then the money actually went to charity, which is great. You still have to how, how much money do you have to have to like donate six hundred thousand? The number greater than six hundred thousand, that's for sure. Well, I think if you think of maybe five percent of your money is fun money. I mean, we're, we're looking at 
more than $10 million, right? Yeah. In terms of net worth where I start going, yeah, yeah, okay, I can see. Really, though? If you had 10 million bucks, you spent half a million on one thing. No, I probably still collectible. I probably still would. And you know, the other thing I think, I mean, maybe like a Van Gogh or something, right? But not, but not a floor. A friend of Jordan basketball. A friend of my dad's was uh, friends with a guy named Pat Kelly who played for the Baltimore Orioles and some other teams. And uh, Pat had given her and she gave to my dad this baseball that was signed by a bunch of the greats who played for some of those great Baltimore Orioles teams back in the 1970s. It was in a glass case on a little stand. She gave it to my dad early in the year, one year snow still kind of on the ground. My brother and I couldn't find the old ratty baseball out in the garage. We thought if we threw that thing just a few times, nothing bad would happen. Not thinking that we might not catch it very well, right? That we might miss one and it might end up in a snowbank. We ruined that ball. You couldn't see anything on that ball after we were done with it. Did so you put I, it back in the shelf and <laughs> pretend like it didn't happen? My dad was so pissed. He, yeah. could, he couldn't have been more pissed. That's and nice. I think about just having something like this, this hardwood floor. That was his retirement. He took all of his money out of his 401k. <laughs> To buy a baseball, and he was going to turn around and sell it for. Yeah, all those bucks. all those years at GM spent collecting enough money to get the big Baltimore Oriole baseball. Yeah, and uh, Tony One and last I shot. wrecked it. But you think about six hundred thousand isn't all that they're going to spend on this. I mean, the first thing you do is you have it appraised, right? And then you have to. Apparently, it's worth six hundred thousand. Well, yeah, and then you got to put it someplace where your kids aren't going to wreck it. Because cause that's a conversation you don't want to have after spending 600000 Guess what happened to the, to the floor? Yeah, my brother and I signed it too. We noticed there was that signature there. We were doing some house cleaning. There were some marks on your new floor, so I scraped it off for you. We saw that we were at Death Valley. There was a, a canyon called Titus Canyon we went through, and we stopped at a place where there were petroglyphs. And of course, OG, there were a bunch of other people who decided that they needed to have their name inscribed along with the petroglyphs. So Yeah, but in 300 years, it'll look cool. It will. That Jimmy loves Jeannie. Earl from Peoria. <laughs> right. His, his long-lost love of Melba. We're going to get another note from Peoria about stop picking on us. I love Peoria. Never been there, but I heard it's a fine place. <laughs> it's amazing this time that's what pe- Well, that's what people keep telling me every time we pick on Peoria, that, Joe, it's a very nice place. So I'm sure it is a very nice place. Of course, OG, the counterpoint to both of these stories, and maybe before we get to the big takeaway, is spend your money on stuff that will help you build skill, right? Instead of spending it maybe on memorabilia at first or handing it to somebody else to maybe build their skill. Masterclass is something, if you've listened to the show a lot, you know that I'm very into. I've taken so many masterclasses, not only that, in my mastermind group, a few of us now are taking master class and we actively discussed them. We talked about the advertising course that I took, the comedy course I took. Now I'm doing two things, one course with Robin Roberts on effective communication and another with Margaret Atwood. And frankly, I'm not even doing them as well as I should. You know, master class comes with so many resources and I think that there was so much meat in the advertising masterclass with Jeff Goodby and Rich Silverstein that I'm going to go back and I'm going to take all the notes and actively apply what I've learned. 
With Masterclass, if you're new to the show, you may not know that you can learn from the world's best minds anytime, anywhere, and at your own pace. Of course, I talked about advertising with Goodby and Silverstein, about comedy with Steve Martin, also from Judd Apatow, by the way. You can talk about negotiating with Chris Voss, cooking with Gordon Ramsay, cooking with a lot of different people. Frankly, there's so many courses in so many different areas with over 85 classes from a range of world-class instructors. That thing you've always wanted to do, it's closer than you think. What I like about it is that I can do a course in 10 minutes. I can watch the video in 10 minutes over lunch. And with Goodby and Silverstein, the advertising class that I took, I'll tell you, that was great to begin with, to make sure that it was applicable and to get the little things. And now I'm going to dive back in because there are also resources that come with each of these courses that I absolutely love. So I highly recommend you check it out. If you, if you couldn't tell, I highly recommend it. Get unlimited access to every master class. And as a stacker, you're going to get 15% off the annual membership. So here's what you do. You go to masterclass.com slash stacking. That's masterclass.com slash stacking for 15% off masterclass. So I think lesson number one is investing in collectibles. I love what Rally does. You can take a flyer on some things that you like. You can maybe get a little invested and love these things, but that's not with a lot of money, OG, or a big part of your net worth. Mm -hmm. uh, spending $600,000 on the Kobe Bryant floor or... Uh, taking $500,000 that's your entire retirement savings and handing it to a dude who wants Maybe to st start an aviation company. Yeah, probably not. Well, our guest today is a leading scholar in the time and happiness research field. Ashley Willens is an assistant professor at a little university called Harvard. Uh, she's at Harvard Business School. She earned her PhD in social psychology from the University of British Columbia. And twice she was named a rising star of behavioral science by the Behavioral Science and Policy Association. She's part of the Global Happiness Council and the Workplace and Wellbeing Initiative at Harvard University, and she advises on workplace and well-being strategies for lots of nonprofits and for-profit partners. Of course, you've seen her before on the LA Times, CNN, BBC, The Atlantic, The Economist, The Wall Street Journal, but now today, she's teaching us about time management. Ashley Willens, coming down to the basement. And uh, my dad, Shortwave, it's our new friend, Ashley Willens. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing today? Good. For somebody who's an expert in time management, how did the whole COVID thing rock your world? Did it change everything? Well, I think it changed everything for everyone, <laughs> but someone who's related to time, it meant I was doing a lot more research than I usually do trying to figure out how the heck we were supposed to navigate our time demands in this new forced experiment in working from home. I think it becomes harder, doesn't it? Because there's no boundaries anymore. Exactly. So that's one of the things that are is coming up over and over again in our research is we took for granted that we had breaks, boundaries, transitions. Our commute, of course, was always a source of misery. And I talk a little bit about this in the book. But actually, 
we need a commute to transition from our personal lives to uh, our work lives and back. And so we're missing all of these natural breaks that would come up in the middle of the day over lunch or chat with a colleague in the hallway. And we're in back to back to back Zoom meetings. So that's one of the key tips that we're finding during this time is build in those breaks, build in fake commute time and walk around the block if you have to, because these breaks and boundaries and transitions are so important for our feelings of happiness and satisfaction. That's interesting that you say that because I was just reading literally this morning as we record this, Microsoft Teams just built that into their app. I don't know if you saw that where they're building in this. I did. Yeah. Instead of commute time, you must have loved that. You must have thought that somebody's singing off your song sheet. I did. I was like, yes, <laughs> someone else is doing this too. We want to make technology work for us and not run our lives. Uh, I'm glad you brought up the book because in your introduction to the book, this Topic really hit me. You make the the point that we have to learn whether we value time more or money more. Why do you start there? I start there because it's good to know what our general default is. So in the book, I talk a little bit about two hypothetical people that are questions that I pose to hundreds of thousands of employees all over the world. And the two hypothetical people are Taylor and Morgan. Taylor values time more than money, is willing to give up money and work hours to have more time. And Morgan values money more than time, is willing to give up precious time and paid vacation to have more money. And I think it's a really important place to start a conversation around time affluence and financial affluence and to gain more recognition that often the decisions we're making around work and productivity have consequences for how much time we have and how we spend our limited available time. I love case studies and you have a couple right at the beginning of your book. Tell me, I love the story of Tom and Nicole, first of all, because I think this illustrates exactly what you're saying, Ashley. So Tom and Nicole are two figures that are based on people I know in real life. And the general premise of Tom and Nicole is that Nicole recently was promoted and Tom gets an invitation from his boss. He's going to get to take a vacation, a dream vacation to the Swiss Alps. And he invites Nicole along. Nicole says, I have paid vacation I could take, but I probably shouldn't take that much time off work. I did just start. I mean, I could, but I shouldn't. So I'm going to decline this amazing free vacation that your boss is offering us both to go on. So Tom takes his sister instead. They have a beautiful, magical trip, as one might imagine. And they talk about this trip all the damn time, in <laughs> Nicole's words. And she regrets it because she could have taken the time off, but she didn't. She chose this feeling of of being needed at work over the opportunity to build moments of amazing memories or to build amazing memories and moments with her husband. And she can really never go back in time and, and retake that trip. And so this is the kind of trade-off we often are faced with. Do I choose a work trip or a work project over my personal experiences, vacation time, nice moments. And we often choose work out of this feeling of obligation, out of the sense that we should be doing something productive as opposed to doing something enjoyable. And yet years later, we never think about what was that project. So in this little scenario, Tom is like, what was that? Why, why couldn't you go again? And, and Nicole's like, I don't remember. Like, I literally don't know why I didn't come. I, that was nothing about what I said no about or no to. Like, there was no reason good enough, basically, to justify not going other than I felt like I should have been at work instead of on vacation. And that was the part that hit me the hardest of that entire story was him saying at the end. So what was that work trip about? The fact that she couldn't remember 
makes me think of so many times that I've done that, that I've gone, no, I should probably do this. And I think, well, heck, I did it yesterday. I mean, yeah, yesterday I, I showed up for an hour long meeting that I was fairly certain that I could miss. I didn't miss it. And I already regret that I, that I went to that full well knowing in my gut that it probably wasn't worth my time. But it's funny because you spend a lot of time early in the book talking about, we value money a lot. Well, a lot of us who are Morgans, right? We, we value money a lot, but we kind of throw away our time. Like we're just throwing it out the window. We don't think as much about that. Absolutely. So there's a lot of research suggesting Unlike money, we're very careful with even losing small amounts of money. 10 bucks, we're sensitive to that loss. Feels like a visceral loss. But when it comes to 10 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, we don't really care. It's not until our time costs become accumulated into months and months and months or years that we start to pay attention. And so this is part of the reason why, regardless of whether you're a Taylor or a Morgan, we all need to be a little bit more mindful about how we lose or waste time on an everyday basis, either by saying yes to unnecessary work meetings or by spending too much time or more time than we wish on social media. I tell people and is in fact, even as I was reading your book, I found myself telling myself over and over, no, I'm a tailor. No, I'm a tailor. When I'm totally a Morgan, I am totally a flipping more. Uh, I'm, I'm completely. Are there a lot of people lying to themselves? Where they spend most of the time going, no, I value time. And then as I'm reading the details you present, Ashley, I'm, I'm just a liar. <laughs> so the whole reason we didn't ask participants in our studies, what do you value, is exactly this reason. We People are like, oh, I don't value money. I don't do everything to be productive. But of course, so much, many of us do, which is why there's a work epidemic or time poverty epidemic in the U.S. and around the world, because we often wish we were the kind of people that took leisure seriously, but take work and productivity way more seriously, in, in part because we're trained to do that. And I'm the first one to admit in the book that, hey, I'm a Morgan. It's okay. We don't need to be embarrassed or ashamed. It's fine. We were taught to be that way. We we're taught that that's what success looks like. But now knowing this, we need to approach the rest of our decisions in our lives slightly differently. And a lot of people think that this is also a problem that people of a certain social class can have, right? If I have more money, I can decide time versus money. You also, in another case study, talk about this young woman in rural India. Tell me, by the way, about finding her, because for her, time is as valuable as it is for uh, Nicole and Tom, who we talked about earlier. Yeah. So this idea of time poverty, which I do want to define quickly, is this feeling of being overwhelmed by the demands of work in life and not having enough time to do all the things that we want to do or have to do. In a U.S. context, I find that 80 percent of working Americans, regardless of how much money they have in the bank, report feeling time poor. So this is an affliction that affects all of us, regardless of how much money we have in the bank, maybe for slightly different reasons. So Usha is someone that I studied in rural India, and I have a whole bunch of projects outside of a U.S. context in Kenya and in India, trying to understand how time poverty affects people who are financially constrained. And Usha travels 10 to 12 hours to collect water each and every day. This means she can't go to school. She has to spend a lot of time on chores. And just by removing that chore, removing that burden, she's able to go to school and to think of a financial future that she might have not otherwise had. And so this is an example I talk about in the book to paint this picture of time poverty, not just being about white collar employees frantic on email. This is a problem that affects all of us. And if anything, my research suggests time poverty afflicts those who are financially constrained more than people who make enough money to buy themselves out of chores or 
buy themselves into more positive experiences. So time poverty is something that affects all of us. And if anything affects those with the least, the most in terms of happiness and and educational opportunity. I could feel her being trapped much more than I could feel Nicole being trapped by her job. I felt to some degree Nicole was trapped by her job because she felt like she had to, the pressures, the demands that you talked about. But she seriously doesn't have an option when she's, she really wants to be a teacher, but she's not sure if she has time to do that. Yeah, exactly. And so this feeling of being overwhelmed by life's chores, by being trapped, this time tax that we talk about, there is no way out of it for many people. And and that's not just Usha living in Rajasthan, India. This is also uh, single moms in the U.S. struggling to make ends meet, struggling to try to find a job to put food on the table. When everything in your life is very urgent and important, and you have to do whatever it takes and stand in whatever line to or search for endless amounts of hours for employment. This creates time poverty. That means we can't look toward the future to think about uh, obtaining longer term goals. We have to focus in the here and the now myopically to solve the problems in front of us. Before we look at some of the time traps, I want to put just a little more leverage behind this discussion Because I can, I don't know, I can envision somebody, they have their listening device on, they're walking the dog or doing, doing whatever. And they're like, okay, Ashley, Joe, this sounds really cool. You know, I'll, I'll think about this later, but you talk about being a tailor versus being a Morgan. There are some true consequences to our health, to our overall well-being. Can you talk about some of those statistics for a moment? Yeah. So people who value time over money in all of my data, nationally representative countries all over the world, wealthy, less wealthy men, women, other identifications, other like employment, personality, doesn't matter who you are, where you came from, controlling for all of those things. Tailors experience greater overall happiness in their life. Uh, They experience greater social relationships. They report greater physical health. In some of my lab studies where we're watching people's behavior, so they're not self-reporting on their behavior, we're, we're watching them engage with the world. People who say they value time over money spend 18% more time engaging in social interactions with peers, which we know are a critical component of happiness. And they're also more likely to volunteer, to be civically engaged, to stand up for the things that they believe in, for the causes and for the people that they care about. So prioritizing time over money enables us to be more pro-social, to be the kind of person that we always want to be, that we imagine being in our minds. Because when we focus on money, we focus at efficiency, often at all costs, and it doesn't leave us enough time or space to meet other goals in our life that are important to us. I was surprised to see when you start diving into all these traps that we're trapped in, the, the number one trap that you have is technology. And yet, as Mm. you know better than I do by far, all these technological solutions, Ashley, were created to make it easier, to make it so that we have more time. And yet you're saying that technology is a huge problem when it comes to time. Yeah. So this is known in the academic literature as the autonomy paradox. Technology was supposed to free us from the office. And now we take the office with us 24-7. Technology is not inherently good or bad, but it is trying to take our attention. So we have to be very mindful that our technology has maybe different goals in life than we do. It wants us to be on 
it, using it all the time. And to live a time affluent and happier life, we need to be able to manage our technology so it's not managing us. One of the major factors that drives time poverty is what I and other researchers call time confetti, which is this idea that we have actually more leisure than we used to, in part because technology enables us to do things more efficiently in our work and personal lives. Yet we feel like we have less of it, in part because our phones, our emails are constantly disrupting the time available to us. So that one hour that we used to have uninterrupted to enjoy a walk, to share a meal with someone we love, is now getting fragmented into small, distractible units of time that are easily squandered and lost. Now, not only does that feel uncomfortable in the moment, it also creates what I like to call or what psychologists call goal conflict, which is instead of being able to relax and enjoy that nice meal, your phone reminds you of all the things you have to do at work. So now you're like, oh, well, should I even be engaging in this leisure activity in the first place? Maybe I should go back to work. And so this sense of goal conflict is also what creates stress. So being able to manage our technology to really check out when we're trying to engage in leisure or when we're trying to get focused work done is a really important strategy to living a more time affluent and happier life. Yeah, I love that you said that because I do want to try to layer in just a few solutions. You have lots of solutions in your book, and obviously we're not going to get to all of them. But one solution that I really liked is that I will find myself as much as other people do with what somebody the other day referred to as the scroll of death, right? I'm sitting on my phone. Doom scrolling, doom scrolling. (laughs) Just hoping that the next one is less depressing than the one before, right? And and it never comes. It never comes. And, And you make a point that active leisure time. In your studies, active leisure time beats the hell out of passive leisure time where I'm scrolling away. Yeah, so active leisure is spending time engaged in activities like volunteering, like socializing, like exercising, going outside. Passive leisure is watching TV, doom scrolling, relaxing, napping. Those things are important too, but if you want to maximize the happiness benefit of the next 30 minutes, my research and other research suggests you want to spend that next 30 minutes engaging in something active. It's similar with social media in general. So when you even look within the category of social media consumption, spending more time engaged in passive uses of social media, the doom scrolling we were just talking about is linked to lower happiness and greater stress, whereas using social media as the connection tool that it can be is good for happiness and good Mm. for connection. We want to reach out, use it to communicate, to have conversations that are meaningful. And that's when social media is likely to produce happiness benefits. More time saying happy birthday, sharing pictures, commenting on other other people's happy pictures, less time just looking for the next thing. Absolutely. Trap number two is the money focus that we already tackled a bit. So I want to move on to time trap number three, and that's undervalued time. And and I'll tell you, you have an analogy that you use talking about taking a red eye. I have to tell you, I did that one time when I looked at the price. I looked at the price of a hotel the next day. I looked at the price of, of a flight the next morning versus I'll fly from Seattle back to Michigan where I was living at the time and I'll take the red eye. That was a horrible flipping idea, Ashley. (laughs) That was just Mm -hmm. a rotten idea. And yet we look at money much, much more than we do time in that instance. Yeah. So what first comes to our mind is how much money is this going to save us? And we often 
forget about the amount of time it's going to cost us. Those financial savings are coming from somewhere and they're often coming at the expense of our time. You can even think about this in the present moment with research about products. So how often do we catch ourselves researching different products that are going to save us two or three dollars for hours? That's hours of our time we could be spent in more active and happier ways that probably didn't, our hourly wage probably is far exceeds the amount of savings we got from, you know, saving a dollar ninety nine on a toothbrush. I mean, if you like it, that's one thing. If it's bringing you joy, maybe do it in small amounts around certain purchases. But oftentimes it's coming at the expense of having a meaningful conversation with your partner, at least in my household. That's <laughs> that's when the research gets in the way of having a nice chat, you know, in the evening. So you want to be thinking, is this coming at a cost to a personal relationship? Could I be doing something else at this time? And so often the answer to that question is yes. Even as you're talking, I'm thinking coupon clipping, which we discourage people from doing same thing because the amount of time you're saving or the amount of money you're saving Versus the amount of time, you know, in the old days, getting the scissors out or even now going from place to place to place, just not, not worth it. Yeah, absolutely. Number, number four is one that I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of this. And I learned this specifically from my mom. Busyness is a status symbol. I totally like mm. being seen Ashley as the busy dude. It's a problem. You're not alone in the U S in particular, where some of these studies were run being seen as busy and having no time in your calendar makes you seem more important, even more attractive. Yet in Europe, it's completely the opposite. So if you run this study in Italy, people think that the busy person is stupid. Why would I want to be that person? And then the person that's enjoying themselves, spending more time drinking wine on a patio, they're the one that actually has life figured out. And I think as a society, we need to move more toward this mental image of success being the person who spends more time drinking wine on a patio. If, if that's my biggest takeaway from this conversation, that's fantastic. Cause, cause I would love to just move to Italy. If, if the solution to all this is moved to Italy, I'm, I'm definitely in, uh, the fifth time trap that you have is idleness aversion. I, f I kind of feel like this is yin yang, right? That because we're so busy trying to be busy that when we get a free moment, we can't feel good about the free moment because we're supposed to be busy. Is this part of the same thing? Yeah, so it's very similar exactly along the lines of what you're saying. Now, very interestingly, idleness aversion or this feeling of not being able to sit still comes from those psych studies, which I talk about a little bit in the book, where people, U.S., high-achieving college students, would rather give themselves mild electric shocks than be left alone in a room with only their thoughts and no technology, which I absolutely love. I think it's hilarious, that study. And also it's because we're so busy. So this idleness aversion gets worse when we feel overwhelmed, which so many of us do. So when we're feeling busy, we want to look busy. We take on more tasks because that feeling of saying yes gives us some sense of con false control over our schedule. So this mere urgency effect is particularly dangerous for people like so many of us who already feel time poor because it makes us say yes or take on low level unimportant tasks that might drive us away from having more time to spend on more meaningful pursuits that involve a little bit more time and longer term planning, because we're looking for that initial boost of confidence that we get from saying yes to someone or, or checking a low level thing off our to do list. I love the fact that you start there. Let's get into some conclusions. We can grasp at the leaves of the situation, but really, how do we get right to the root cause? How do we begin to attack the idea of maybe giving ourselves more time? 
It's one thing to know that time is our most valuable resource, and it's another thing to live it, to live our life as as if it is. And so what we need to do is start creating strategies and tactics in our own life to create more time for active leisure, for more time so that more time to engage in the activities that we want to be doing or we should be doing. So very simply, the first strategy we can take is to find time. Look at how you spent time yesterday and think about whether there's any opportunity for you to either dial up activities that made you happy or provided you with meaning or dial down or remove activities that brought you misery, uh, not joy, misery and stress. It's kind of like a, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a Marie Kondo approach. Right. Exactly. So uh, I, I do mention it as the Marie Kondo method of time use in the book. <laughs> Labor economists call it maximizing your U index. But basically, it's the same thing. You just want to spend more time in pleasurable and meaningful activities, less time in unpleasant and stressful activities. But the first step to getting there is being mindful about how you're spending your time. Second step is to inject some of that additional free time that you can find your, yourself with with activities that we've talked about that are good for happiness. I suggest people keep a time affluence to-do list somewhere that they will look at many times during a day with short activities that they could engage in that isn't doom scrolling, that isn't social media. Walking around the block, calling your mom, chatting with a friend, thinking about what you're gonna cook for dinner, all of these activities that are positive and proactive that we can easily fill in these small spaces in our schedule that we often find ourselves with it's like we have a to-do list, but we're including the things that really add to our life on that to-do list. Because I find, Ashley, if it's on my to-do list, it gets done. So if call mom makes me feel good and it's on my to-do, but, but put on the to-do list. Exactly. You have to be intentional about putting time affluent creating activities into your calendar. Another strategy I talk about is this idea of funding time. So buy yourself out of tasks that you don't like doing. And this doesn't have to cost very much money. Even spending $40 to save yourself time can produce noticeable differences in happiness and relationship satisfaction. What does that mean? Like hiring a housekeeper one day a month or one day a week or whatever you can afford, that type of thing? Yeah, house cleaner once a month, ordering takeout and thinking about the amount of time you save, getting someone to mow your lawn, hiring a neighbor's kid to go shopping for you. The list could go on and on. People I've studied are pretty creative about this, but you want to be thinking intentionally about giving up some of your money to have more time focused on activities you really don't like doing. This is why it's really important that you do that first step of reflecting on how you spend your time, what makes you happy and what makes you miserable. So you know what to get rid of. I have just a couple more questions. And actually, even before I get to those, you have a suggestion that seems to me to be one of the small suggestions in your book, but I really, really like it, which is take those times when you're in a spot that you really don't, you don't love it, but you can't change it. And you use the analogy of your commute, right? But engage in some activity on the commute. So if you love listening to podcasts, if you just love listening to Stacking Benjamin show, put it on, see how I did that? Put it during that time so that you turn this horrible time into a good time. I really like that. But that also means something else for me, Ashley. It means that initially I think I should document my time. Is that true? Yes. You want to document your time and how you're feeling during different episodes of the day. So in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening, what did you do? How did you feel about it? And then you can start to think, well, where's activities I can find time 
by removing some stuff that I don't want to spend so much time in? Where can I fund time by outsourcing tasks I don't like? And where might I reframe time, which is this third strategy we've been talking about, where maybe I can't get rid of it. Maybe I'm the person to do it. Maybe I don't want to outsource it, but I can reframe the way I'm thinking about it. My partner and I do this all the time. We wash dishes or do laundry and we listen to our favorite podcast at the same time. And it doesn't make that task something we dread. We kind of enjoy it because we want to know what's our favorite podcast is up to. So we are like, oh, should we do the laundry? Like it makes us both <laughs> right, excited. We're like, let's do the laundry. We just plug in our podcast and away we go. Well, and it's, it's a together thing. Instead of being a chore that one of you does, it's a together thing also, which I think helps there. Last thing I have, because this is a money show, I'm contractually obligated to ask you about this because I thought this was just such a badass thing. Happiness dollars. You talk about this concept of happiness dollars. Can you briefly explain to us what that is? Because I think our fans will love that. So I made an accounting for time workbook as part of the book to translate the happiness that you'd get from making a time-related choice into dollars so that we can obviously see the benefit of it since no one seems to take time very seriously, myself included, unless you put it into a metric we all understand, which is money. So we know on average that people get about a 0.5 or a noticeable difference in happiness, 0.5 on a 10-point happiness scale or a noticeable difference in happiness when they make about $10,000 more of household income per year if they're making the average amount of household income. So using that number as a reference point, I can then anchor all these other time use decisions around it. So just very concretely, the difference of shifting your mindset from being more money focused to more time focused in the absence of changing any of your behavior is the happiness equivalent of making $4,000 more of household income per year, outsourcing your most disliked task every month, even netting out the amount of money that you have to pay to remove whatever it is you don't like doing produces the happiness benefit of making about $12,000 more of household income per year. So by adding up all of these time smart choices and then calculating the amount of happiness they bring you in terms of dollars, we can see that the path to greater happiness isn't necessarily working more. We could just change the way we think about time or spend our time differently and produce happiness equivalent of making way more money than most of us can expect to get as a raise in the upcoming year. You just made some money nerd friends of ours very happy, Ashley, and you won't might not know this, but there are people right now dreaming of spreadsheets about how they can work on this already. I have spreadsheets. Uh, <laughs> of I think in the Kindle version of my book, or it's going to come out there somewhere. There's spreadsheets on this. My RA and I went in, and and you can input your income, and it spits out the amount of happiness dollars you'll get if you make all these different time-related choices. So there are spreadsheets, and you can email me about these spreadsheets. I will I, send them. To I you. thought you were just a time nerd, but you're totally a time nerd and a money nerd. So nice job. Mm. Good work. Just generally across the board, I'm a nerd. <laughs> The book is called Time Smart, How to Reclaim Your Time and Live a Happier Life. It's available everywhere, I assume, correct? Yeah, anywhere books are sold. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for spending some time and helping us reclaim some of our time. I really appreciate it, Ashley. Of course. Thanks for having me. Hello to all my many, many virtual fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And did you know today is Columbus Day? So get this. Dude shows up uninvited to a new continent and infects an entire group of people with a foreign disease. Where have I heard that story before recently? Anywho, you know, I actually kind of feel like a modern-day Columbus without any of the bad stuff, of course. Always exploring and finding new trivia for this show. 
a man conquering stuff that's already been found, which reminds me of today's trivia. We all know that Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492. After my second go in the fourth grade, I had that one nailed. He sailed because his ships made him tons of Benjamins, or at that time, pesos, or I guess. Uh, Well, what were the names of Columbus's three money-making ships? Oh my God, Joe, this is the easiest trivia ever. All right, I'll be back with your answer that you already know. Faster than you can circumnavigate your neighborhood. That should be the trivia. Circum Spell circumnavigate. That's harder than this one. When I'm looking for something to read, either to take my mind off of building Stacking Benjamins episodes or to get caught up on some of the best writing available, I've been for a long time a fan of The New Yorker. The New Yorker is known for accuracy, quality writing, and compelling reporting and storytelling, considered by many to be, if not the most influential publication, one of the most influential publications in the world. The weekly print issues and daily online articles cover a full range of topics, something for everybody. Of course, they cover the political situation, but there's also international affairs, climate change, the environment, pop culture, arts, fiction, food, humor, and cartoons. I'm always a fan, by the way, of those last ones, the food, the humor, and the cartoons, if you've known me for any length of time, are what I come to the New Yorker looking to read. Some recent stories that I've liked, whether you're interested in politics or not, the story about the Lincoln Project, I think, has been interesting, the how and the why behind it. They recently did a story inside the Lincoln Project's war room. I also found very interesting the story a couple of weeks ago called The Layered Deceptions of Jessica Krug, the Black Studies professor who hid that she is white. That was an incredible story. And then I really liked The Stunning Second Life of Avatar The Last Airbender. If you're familiar with the Nickelodeon cartoon Avatar The Last Airbender, now it's on Netflix and it's more popular than ever. And it's really interesting to see how The Last Airbender has come back to life. Of course, I'm a fan of anything Helen Rosner writes. She's a James Beard award-winning food writer. Uh, she joined the New Yorker's A Roving Food Correspondent in 2018. Lots of stories on everything gastronomic. Sheila Kohakar, the award-winning writer uh, who joined the New Yorker in 2016. Sheila's writing about business and economic issues. I'm a big fan of the comics, which have been around, of course, since the 1920s when the New Yorker was, was founded some of the best fiction, by the way, in the New Yorker that you're going to read anywhere and poetry for a limited time. You can get 12 weeks of the New Yorker for just $6. That's a savings of 50%, 50% because you're a stacker. You're welcome. Plus listeners uh, to stack your Benjamins are going to get an exclusive tote bag for free. Go to newyorker.com slash SB. That's N-E-W-Y-O-R-K-E-R.com slash SB. 12 weeks in New Yorker for just $6 and a free tote bag. Newyorker.com slash SB. Hey, stackers, it's your trivia pal, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. So get this. Not only does our boy Chris totally show up unannounced back on this date in 1492, but get this. He wasn't even the first guy from Europe to discover the new world. This dude who played a sweet guitar named Leif Erikson had already discovered the American continent a full 500 years before Christopher Columbus 
not. Yeah, of course he too discovered that there were some people already here. Yeah, but that's beside the point. And don't forget about our boy Amerigo Vespucci. Leave it to Columbus to take credit for other people's hard-earned accomplishments. Reminds me of a couple of guys around here. Kind of sounds like two podcast hosts I know of. (coughs) Joe LG. Uh, All right, we need to move on past this Chris character ASAP. So let's get to today's trivia. Question was, what were the names of Columbus's three ships? If you guessed Huey, Louie, and Dewey... (laughs) You're the only person who doesn't know this, because of course it's Nina, Pinta, and Santa Maria. All right, time for me to go discover a brownie from the kitchen counter. I smell them just out of the oven. See ya! Nice job that you know all the ships, man. I know lots of ship. Hey, OG, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they put what you value first preemptively eating all the Halloween candy and scaring the heck out of my kids every day. That's a good use of time right there. It's the season. Your kids will absolutely love it. It is spending more time with your loved ones. And that's why they've made buying quality term life insurance actually simple. So you don't have to spend all your time dealing with life insurance. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven life now to get a free quote. Their application is simple online. You get an instant coverage decision. Prices are affordable. And of course, they're all issued by Mass Mutual, a more than 160-year-old company. Today, we're going to throw out the Even Lifeline to, I think it's Steve. Say hi, Steve. Hey. By the way, I'm from pretty close to where you used to be in Texarkana, Texas, because I'm on the Arkansas side of South Arkansas. But Boxite, man, that is all Arkansas. In fact, there's a town named Boxite, Arkansas. Boxite is the mineral that aluminum is made from. And both Alcoa and Reynolds Aluminum had their starts in Arkansas. I'm a chemical engineer, and I turned down job offers from both of those two companies. But uh, to work in oil, which is where my heart lay. But anyway, that's all you need to know about Boxite. This is Steve from Arkansas, signing off. Steve, thanks for that. And uh, yes, on a show a couple of weeks ago, we were joking about bauxite and about uh, not really needing to know more about bauxite. But Steve said no. No, thank you, OG. We're going to go ahead and make sure that we know everything there is to know about bauxite. Okay, then. And now you know. See, people keep, people keep saying that you don't learn anything listening to this show. And then Steve calls up and totally teaches us about bauxite. It's wonderful. It's a community driven show. It is. Thanks, Steve. And uh, the easiest question I've ever had to answer. (laughs) Man, do I miss Texarkana, by the way, completely miss Texarkana. A ton. Yes, absolutely. Good friends. Good friends there. Uh, Hey, thanks to everybody for hanging out with us today. Also, thanks to anybody who's left us a review of this show. Helps uh, people know what the heck they're getting into when they listen to Stacking Benjamins. Uh, Mom's got this one on the fridge, by the way, from Smitty35. You got Joe's laugh will make you start laughing, and then you've got OG with this sense of humor. It'll make you laugh even harder. But for the most part, this podcast is a must-listen-to podcast. Five stars, OG. From Smitty35. All right. I Thank like you very much for that. And uh, by the way, if you know somebody who's not great at time management, 
maybe even better than leaving us a review, just lean over and go, hey, maybe uh, listening to this Harvard Business School professor might be a great idea. And then you can tell them later, you're welcome. Because not only did we deliver that, Steve taught them about Boxite, which I think two highlights in the same show. We're getting dizzy. We talked about Kobe Bryant. All over the board. It's a Monday. It, it, you could tell it's Monday here in the basement. All right, everybody. That's going to do it for today. You've got limited time left, by the way, if you want help from OG and his team this year. So head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash OG if you need to get on his calendar for better financial help. That's not for questions to the show. OG and his team are now taking clients, but that uh, deadline fast approaching. I'm just waiting for OG to give me the stop as I launch into the sentence, and he's not doing that today, but I'm sure that's coming soon. All right, stackingbenjamins.com forward slash OG for that. That's going to do it. We'll see you back here on Wednesday, OG. Doug, you've got it from here, man. What should we have learned today? So what should we have learned today? First, take a lesson from our headlines. Having people between you and your money can help save you from making catastrophic mistakes. Second, take a lesson from John Hope Bryant. The American dream is still alive and well, and there are always ways that we can improve our station in life. But the big takeaway... If you're a native, don't trust the white guy who shows up with three vehicles with bougie names. No, Chris, I am very sure we do not want to see the record collection back on your ship. Special thanks to Ashley Willens for joining Joe today. You can find a link to her book, Time Smart, How to Reclaim Your Time and Live a Happier Life, on our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. You can also find Ashley at awillens.com. This show is created by Joe Saul Cihai, produced by Richie Rudder-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm a lot deeper than you realize. In fact, sometimes I just stand in front of my mirror and reflect. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remunerations. That's a big word. There's no way you take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. And before making any financial decisions, consult with a real financial advisor. Also, Big thanks to Joe's mom for celebrating Columbus Day. In fact, in the spirit of a holiday, she says that she just discovered the hose outside so I can discover how to wash her Harley. Not sure I'm actually a fan of this holiday now that I think about it.
Welcome to the after show. This is the part of the show that doesn't exist. I heard it was movie time. It is movie time. In the, in the Joe House hold. Did you see, sadly, Regal Cinemas shut down? I think they're coming back. They're still going to own the property, but they're just shutting down because nobody's going to see movies. Yeah. And companies, companies aren't coming out with movies. And I read something last week. They're making new streaming stuff at such a slow pace right now because a lot of people don't want to work in close proximity that way that they're even running out of streaming content. Imagine what happens. I've, I've seen all of it. I've, <laughs> I've watched all of Netflix. Is that what you're telling me? No, well, I read that same article. They said that they were, as soon as they announced that the Bond movie was going to get punted from the fall to next spring, they're like, all right, we're done. Because that's all, that's all they could have hoped for was that there was a big showing for Bond and a big showing for Top Gun. Yeah. In yeah. Fa- Fast and Furious then immediately said, we're not going until next year. I feel like I missed something, by the way, because I remember the first Fast and Furious coming out going, that's not my kind of movie. But when you have six of them, you start going. Uh, I think they're on nine, dude. Maybe the joke's on me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they're, they're, they're good popcorn movies. At this point. They're good popcorn movies. I, like, if, like the Tokyo Drift one, not good, but all the rest of them, all the rest of them you can sit there and watch and whatever. You got something against the drifting cars? You don't like the drift? I do, yeah. Yes. Yeah. As I understand it, uh, I'm just reciting what someone else told me, by the way, because I've never seen all of them. (laughs) But uh, somebody else told me that it just didn't fit the storyline. Like Uh, all the rest of them had the same same people in it. Well, the fact there's even a storyline for that movie impresses me. Hey, hey, Vin Diesel and The Rock, they are performers, yo. They're pros. You can take that to the bank. Dwayne Johnson I'll take. But uh, Vin Diesel, do you hear about their spat? No, I, I'm no, I don't. Those I don't. guys, those guys, uh, the, the last fast and furious had a big blow up because Vin Diesel, apparently like, I don't know these guys. So this is all crap you read, but, uh, Vin Diesel shows up late to everything probably needs help from a time management expert. <laughs> Just listen yeah. to Vin. We can help you out. Just listen to today's show. But he, he'd show up late all the time and he would, goof around and wasn't professional. Dwayne Johnson finally had enough and said, Dude. so that's funny that you bring that up. Cause I follow the rock on Instagram. Cause he has epic cheat meals. And uh, he posted a picture a couple weeks ago of his gate for his house being like completely broken. And he said, the power went out. He had a meeting he had to get to, and he was not going to be late. So he ripped the gate off. So he just ripped it off. He ripped it off. Yes. I've done that he's before. Like, haven't he's you? Like the, he goes, it was like this big hydraulic gate. He said, the guys showed up and were slightly, uh, distressed by the fact, like that, that a that a human, like Hulk smash, <laughs> you know, he just like bent the metal, like huh, okay. Just think about how much money that meeting must have been. To, because for me, you'd be like, yeah, I can't do that because that's a ton of money. For him, yeah. he's like, nope, this is an eight million dollar meeting or twenty million dollar yeah, yeah. meeting or whatever yeah. it is. Forget it, you know. A couple yeah. tequila is pretty good. Termana, bueno. Haven't had. I didn't right, even know there were good tequilas. Okay. I thought I thought tequilas yeah. weren't that great. And then we were in Cabo. I remember I was in Cabo last sure. year. Yes, Went to man. Cabo. Can I tell you about going to Cabo? They had this tequila cart come around, and this dude. By the way, don't do the tequila cart. The te- just just rule of thumb: the tequila cart rolls around the Mexican restaurant. Do not get involved. I mean, don't get me wrong. I learned that there were some just badass tequilas that went down really smooth, especially Super after smooth. like the sixth or seventh one. Well, yeah, but what I didn't realize was the price tag that came with every. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, say no to the tequila cart. Just saying. Okay. Found out that was lesson learned. And by the way, that was night one. 
at this resort we were staying at. And the second night, the second night, Cheryl, every single time goes, what comes with my inclusive bracelet? Because apparently the tequila cart didn't come with my tequila bracelet and I needed to learn to ask what comes with it. I'm like, oh, this red wine. How much of it? Oh, as much as you can drink. There we go. Bada boom, bada bing. Anyway, not that we had a lot. Okay, we had a lot. Okay, we made them pay for it. Okay, they put up signs later on that said we're never invited back, but it's all right. Anyway, uh, Cheryl and I, fans of Sherlock Holmes, uh, have really enjoyed all the Sherlock Holmes stories, the different Sherlock Holmes movies. This is a new movie on Netflix a couple of weeks ago called Enola Holmes. Now where to begin? My mother named me Enola, which backwards spells alone. And yet, we were always together. And it was wonderful. She was my whole world. Which leads me on to the second thing you need to know. A week ago, I awoke. Mother? To find that my mother was missing, and she did not return. I'm presently on the way to collect my brothers, Mycroft and Sherlock. Yes, Sherlock Holmes, the famous detective, my genius brother. He will have all the answers. Enola. Where's your hat and your gloves? Well, I have a hat. Just makes my head itch. And I have no gloves. My God. A wild woman brought up a wild child. So the brothers are horrified when they meet their much younger sister, Enola, early in the movie. And the reason they met her is because mom has disappeared. And they can't figure out why mom has disappeared. And to quote, uh, I don't even know if this is a real Sherlock Holmes quote, but it's a quote everybody always associates with them, that the game is afoot. Oh, gee, the game is then afoot. So they begin looking for the Holmes matriarch, Sherlock and Mycroft, and uh, the star of this show, the younger sister, Enola. Enola is played by the same uh, young woman who played... It's funny, I'm thinking about Stranger Things. Does she play 11 or 13 or whatever the number is? She's the uh, girl that shows up. Of course, that's Millie Bobby Brown. Sam Claffin, you've seen him in everything, plays Mycroft Holmes. Henry Cavill plays Sherlock Holmes. And uh, one of my favorite actors, Helena Bottom Carter, plays Mom Who Goes Missing. It was funny. We were really tired. Really like Sherlock Holmes stuff. Looked like it might be a fun ride. And that is exactly what it was. This, I think, OG, is a good family movie. I think if your kids are older than 8 or 10 years old, it's just if you're looking for a Friday night family movie in front of the television since we can't go into movie theaters, this is this is probably the one. I thought that uh, Sherlock Henry Cavill, I don't know that I've ever seen him in a role where I thought he wasn't boring. Uh, he's not a great Sherlock Holmes. Like I rate all the Sherlock Holmes against each other. Benedict Cumberbatch was a fantastic Sherlock Holmes in mm-hmm. that series that they had. Yep. But Henry Cavill, just, you know, not, I understand why he gets these roles because he's a heck of a handsome dude, mm-hmm. but he is uh, so boring. But the guy that plays Mycroft, Sam Claflin, and, and so many things I've seen this guy in, he's always great, no matter where you see him. He was in the Hunger Games. I saw him in the miniseries well over a decade ago. Uh, the one where they're building the church. Somebody's yelling at their device right now. Um, 
anyway, I'm not going to get that one, but it's, uh, he, <laughs> he was in pirates of the Caribbean pillars of the earth. That's the name of it. Had to go back and, and look for that. He's been in Peaky Blinders. He, the guy's been on everything, uh, but very good show. Very, very fun. Rotten Tomatoes gives it a 91%, which I thought was super surprisingly good. Of course, IMDb gives it a 6.7, which is surprisingly bad. I would put my analysis right in the middle, man. So there we go. Enola Holmes for the win. Okay. I'll go check it out. Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is military appreciation month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans. And all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org celebrate, and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.